You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about capitalizing directions, a tidbit about elbow grease, and a meaty middle about why people talk with their hands. And now, on to capitalizing directions. Sometimes directional terms such as south are capitalized, and sometimes they aren't. When you're describing a direction, south is lowercase. The map is behind a secret door on the south wall. We drove south for 20 miles before we found a gas station. But when you're naming a region, directions are usually capitalized. For example, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Nashville are all in the capitalized south, not the lowercase south. One hint, although it's not 100% definitive, is that if you can put the word the in front of the name then the direction is often capitalized. For example, like this. He's from the Pacific Northwest. Both Pacific and Northwest are capitalized. She's from the Far East. Both Far and East are capitalized. You also capitalize other well-known region names like East Coast, West Coast, the South of France, and Southern California. But it can get tricky because whereas Southern California may be a well-known region, Southern Washington, Western Turkey, and Southern Africa aren't, at least not according to my style guides. So in those cases, you wouldn't capitalize the directional words. When in doubt, check a style guide. And if you can't find an answer, keep the word lowercase. In other words, lowercase should be your default. Another tricky area is directional terms to describe people, such as southerner and northerner, because style guides offer differing advice. For example, the Chicago Manual of Style wants southerner to be lowercase, and the Associated Press wants southerner to be capitalized. To sum it up, if a directional term is the name of a region, capitalize it. If it's just a description of a point on the compass, lowercase it. And if you're unsure, check a dictionary or style guide. And if you can't find an answer, keep it lowercase. As usual, you can find the transcript of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com. And this week, I also put a few sentences you can practice on at the end of the page. Just search the site for the title, When Do You Capitalize Directions? Next, are you doing hard work this summer? Well, let's talk about elbow grease. What is elbow grease, and is it as gross as it sounds? Let's start by agreeing that grease does not come from elbows. 
Rather, elbow grease is an idiom that means hard physical labor. It most likely references the effort involved in tasks like scrubbing a sink or sawing wood, your elbow, of course, bending and straightening in turn. Naturally, it takes elbow grease to attack any difficult task. The term elbow grease was first used in 1672. A 1699 dictionary of slang called it a derisive word for sweat. An 1889 book of Proverbs had a more flattering take on the expression, noting that, quote, elbow grease makes wealth increase, unquote. The author elaborates, quote, elbow polish or elbow grease is a fine article in a household and beats boar's grease and goose grease into fits, unquote. In other words, hard work beats out any number of fancy formulas for getting things clean. Back in the day, elbow grease was exploited for practical jokes. An unfortunate young worker would be sent out to purchase the elbow grease for polishing furniture. The poor apprentice would walk from shop to shop until he either caught on to the joke or gave up looking. These days, elbow grease can refer to any type of hard work, physical or otherwise. You might tell your son to put some elbow grease into cleaning his room— but you might also tell him to put some elbow grease into studying for exams. So that's your tidbit for today. Elbow grease refers to energetic labor, usually manual, but sometimes mental. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. And now on to gestures. Do you talk with your hands? Speaking and gesturing go together so unconsciously, we often don't bother to pay attention with what we're doing with our hands while we speak. We think of gesture as communicating, but if that's true, why do we gesture when we're on the telephone? Even blind people who've never seen another person gesture will gesture. There's something going on here, even if we're not often aware of it. So what drives our need to gesture, and how does the language we speak relate to the way we gesture? The most obvious function of gestures is for communicating. For example, you might use your hands to point out which cake you want to buy, or demonstrate how big the polka dots are on your new umbrella. But we also use gestures even when no one's watching, such as when we're on the phone. So communication can't be the only thing they're good for. Sure enough, research has demonstrated that gestures help us think. So Tara Kida, Martha Alibali, and Ming-Wan Chu have a recent paper that draws together two decades of research on gesturing. For example, one study found that when you prevent people from gesturing, they find it harder to think of the words they want to say. Gesturing doesn't just help with speaking, either. It can help with thinking. Several studies asked people to silently solve puzzles that involved rotating complex shapes. The people who were encouraged to gesture about it got the right answer more often than the people who gestured only the normal amount. Similarly, in a task where people had to remember directions from a map, the group who practiced the route by gesturing their way through it remembered it better than the people who only looked at the map or drew a copy. This doesn't mean that we're completely unaware of whether we have an audience when we're gesturing. Although people do gesture on the phone, we use our hands more when speaking to somebody face-to-face. 
and compared to both of these situations, we're even less likely to gesture when speaking into a tape recorder, when we're not expecting an audience who will listen to the tape afterward. People also tailor their gestures to their audience. In an experiment by Autumn Hostetter, Martha Alibali, and Cherie Schrager, participants had to explain the rules of a game to another person, who they would then play the game with. In one case, the instructions were for someone who the explainer would be playing with collaboratively, and in another version, the instructions were to be given to someone the explainer would play against competitively. The instructions were exactly the same, and in both cases the speaker made a similar number of gestures. But, when the instructions were given to a future competitor, the size of the gestures was smaller. It doesn't pay to help the opposition. Gestures are part of our linguistic communication because they're closely tied to language in the human brain. Imagine you're in a cafe, and you say to the waiter, "'Can I please have a piece of that cake?' As you say that, you're pointing with your index finger at the lemon drizzle cake. In order for your finger to be extended and pointing by the time you get to the word that, you need to start moving your hand a couple of words earlier. This means the brain has to coordinate the movement of your hands to align with an upcoming word. In the same way, the next time you're watching a politician give a speech, notice that the rhythm of the gestures will line up with the stress of the words. Politicians may hold their hands in a certain way, and it's likely some public speaking expert has told them they look more commanding or open for it, but they'll all synchronize their gestures and their speech. As far as we know, all human languages are accompanied by gesturing. Even users of sign languages will incorporate gestures alongside the grammatical elements of their language. But speakers of different languages also gesture differently, and some of these differences are linked to the structure of the language itself. Take Turkish and English, for example. When it comes to talking about the way objects move, these two languages use different verb structures. In English, you might say, the ball is rolling down the hill. In this sentence, rolling is a verb, and down is a preposition, giving additional information about the direction. But Turkish speakers would use a structure that would translate literally into English as something more like the ball rolling, descending the hill. Unlike in English, these are two separate verbs instead of one verb with a modifier. One verb gives you the type of motion, the other gives you the path. Asli Azurek and Sotarakita demonstrated that when English puts these two pieces of information into the one-verb phrase, English speakers are also likely to conflate them into a single gesture. English speakers will be more likely to show the manner, rolling or bouncing, and trajectory, downward or left to right, together in one gesture with spiraling downward hand motions. But just as Turkish speakers use separate verbs for manner and trajectory, they'll also show these features with two separate gestures, first demonstrating the action of rolling without the downward movement, and then showing the downward path in a straight movement without the rolling. These differences in gesturing patterns appear to be related to the structure of the language and not learned. We know this because a recent study by Seda Azcheliskan, Che Lucero, and Susan Goldenmeadow built on Azurek and Kita's work, but focused on the gestures of blind Turkish and English speakers. 
these participants were given the same job as their sighted counterparts, describing situations that included motion. The results for both Turkish and English speakers who had been blind from birth was consistent with the earlier study. That's to say, even though the blind English speakers in the study had never seen someone gesture in a way that included both manner and trajectory, they did so in their description of the events. Similarly, the blind Turkish participants separated the motion and trajectory in both their speech and gestures. All Turkish speakers gestured significantly differently from all English speakers, regardless of sightedness. This means that these particular gestural patterns are something that's deeply linked to the grammatical properties of a language and not something that we learn from looking at other speakers. We gesture because it can be helpful and to make sure the other person knows just which cake we want. Gesture is not only useful in communicating with others, but it helps us to think as well. It also means that our hands can tell us things about the structure of language, in the grammar and in our brain, that we didn't notice before. That segment was written by Lauren Gaughan, who blogs at superlingo.com, S-U-P-E-R-L-I-N-G-U-O.com, and is the co-host of the Lingthusiasm podcast. Thanks for blowing my mind, Lauren. And a little follow-up from me. As I was editing this piece, I agonized for far too long over the phrase exactly the same when we were describing giving instructions for a game. The instructions were exactly the same. I know some of you would notice and probably comment that it's one of those phrases that regularly shows up in lists of unnecessarily redundant phrases. But here's the thing. Changing exactly to just the same or identical, sounded wrong to me. The sentence lost its oomph, and it also felt like it lost emphasis on the sameness, so I decided to keep it. Editing is about making something good, not about slavishly following rules. And as I've said before, redundancy isn't always wrong and can sometimes help add emphasis. Like when we add myself to a sentence like, I baked the cake myself. So that's all to say, please don't write to me about exactly the same. I did it on purpose. Finally, thanks to Maureen, who said she saves up the podcasts for long road trips or when she gets stuck in L.A. traffic jams. She said, quote, I almost get excited when there's a major traffic delay because it's my time to be instructed, entertained, and enlightened, unquote. Wow, thanks, and what a great way to turn a negative into a positive. I admire that. I'm Mignon Fogarty. I hope you're all having a great summer without too many traffic jams. And that's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life. 
which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and bestselling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.